0: this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us, and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org.
1: And so the last few weeks, we've been talking about nothing. And so I thought, well, why don't we talk about everything today? <laughs> so um, so I, ta- I call my message today everything. But um, in this last 28, almost 28 years, almost three decades, I said that earlier today, Kel and I almost like almost passed out thinking that, yeah, sorry, we're, we're getting older, babe. Um, but, uh, yeah, I told somebody, I had this in my notes and I didn't say it, but my students, um, my first students, when I was back in starting the youth ministry, they had never used the internet to write a term paper. And, um, now we carry around the wealth of human information in our pockets. It's in, there's one right there. And it's, it's, um, it's absolutely amazing what our world is now comparatively but some things just haven't changed we have different names for them sometimes that we've worked on over the last you know 100 so years but um one of the things that hasn't changed in all that time is growing up and we all have to grow up um sometimes uh, people ask me why i've done youth ministry so far so long and it's because i don't have to grow up um, I had field day with tacos on Wednesday night. It was awesome. Okay, so, you know, I get to be a kid until I can't stand up anymore. And that's, um, that's amazing and fun. But um, in the midst of all of that, I get to spend time with a group of kids that are in a stage of life that is looking towards trying to figure out what it means to be themselves. And we have all these these stages of life that we've put together over the over the years, um, we've got uh, prebuvescence and puberty, which God God love us all for puberty, but um, adolescence, which is where I spend most of my time working. Okay, um, adulthood, midlife crisis. How many of y'all felt that one? Yeah, nobody wants to raise their hand for that. <laughs> Ryan, you cannot raise your hand for midlife crisis unless you don't expect to be very old. So, so. Yeah, no, I, 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 about 10 years ago, which sounds crazy, um, we had a group at one of my churches called the Second Halfers, and um, you had to be, like, in the second half of your life to do that, and so the Bible tells us that you get three score and 10, which is 70 years is what, you know, the Bible, everything else is a gift from God, but I just turned 35, and they asked me to come and speak, so I was like, now I'm going to come to every meeting because I'm halfway through, so I'm in the second half of my life, so I, I understand where you're coming from, but... Sorry, dude, that's not yet, but but midlife crisis, it's a real thing, but nobody wants to raise their hand for it, but I saw this happen between couples. Oh, yeah. And in the first service, there's like little tiny spacklings of giggling all throughout the room and stuff like that. It happens, okay? Midlife crisis, how many of y'all are in retirement right now? Life is good, right? Bring it. Um, golden years, um, I had a, a parishioner at my last church who was 104 years old um when she passed and she's um known as a a um a centenarian okay we've got names that that was not even very common. i mean almost rare it would be a better way to put it years and years back but it's becoming more and more common now to the point where you have categories for it um believe it or not her sister is still alive and she's 108 years old now it's ridiculous they've got good genes but um she was the sweetest little lady Um, she started the youth ministry in 1947 at the church i was at uh, before she came and talked to our youth group when she was 102. It was amazing. So, but like I said, as part of my vocation, I get to spend a lot of time working in adolescent areas, okay? And um, adolescence comes from the, from the word um, adolescere, or excuse me, adolescere, which is a, um, uh, a Latin word which means to mature or to grow up. And um, so as we think about it, it's exactly what we think about. But the idea of adolescence didn't really happen until about 1904, okay? the, the idea that we would have this and it happened because of that way, because up until that point, there were no labor laws in the United States. There was no universal education. And when that stuff started to come along, all of a sudden in urban areas of the United States, there were, were kids who now were at school all day. And when they got off of school, they didn't have jobs they had time on their hands and there was um a moment for them to develop into something that hadn't existed before okay before that they would have you know been taught at home or in a small country school or an urban school and then when they're 10 11 12 years old they go to work okay that was my grandmother I mean my grandmother was born 1914 she went to sixth grade and then she started working that was the way it was my grandfather was the third grade you know and so that, that change in our society created this, this gap of time that um, a val- became of this valuable time that we, we now call adolescence. And it really became up into existence in the 60s, um, but maybe the 50s through the 70s, but it came into that real place in the 60s. And one of the hardest things about it now is to realize that the adolescents are the number one marketed to group of people in, in, the, in the world. And it's because when, when we talk about adolescence, they're, they're open, and they're malleable, and they have, they have all these different ideas, and everything is playing into who they are, and so our, our culture has turned it into, um, let me see if I can grab them for this, and grab them for that, and grab them for this, and grab them for that, and, and you know, it was like when I was a little kid, I mean, this was before adolescence, but I loved Lucky Charms. I was born on March 17th, so I have this thing with leprechauns, which is stupid because I'm six foot four, but like, but... Um, but every time a Lucky Charms commercial would come on, it's like, I got to get me some Lucky Charms. You know, I tell my mom and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, they're horrible for you. But I wanted Lucky Charms so bad. Um, and then it turned into Fruity Pebbles. And that's, that's just the end of it there. But like, when we, when we talk about these people, this group of people, we have this, this malleable group. These people who are looking for what it means to be self. And so in the midst of that, in the 60s, a study came out that talked about these two stages or three stage really part of life. There's a, the toddler time where you're exploring the world and you're learning all the foundational things that you need to understand about the world. Hot, cold, up, down, left, right, how to speak, how to talk. And then as you, you get into that 13, 14, maybe even a little earlier now, probably 10 or 11, you start to, to get into this idea or thought about what it means to be you. And all that foundational information and stuff starts to coalesce into an identity and into um, a, a, a connection of who you are as a person. And that's the adolescent era. It's the discovery. It's the maturity that comes in the midst of that. And it comes to an end when we have to start talking about answering the questions about who we are. And these are the three questions that determine the end of this. When you, off, when you come to the end with confidence, you can say, who am I and where am I going? You can answer that question. Where am I loved and wanted? And what am I able to do and accomplish? And when you can answer these three questions, you are on your way out of adolescence and into adulthood. Um, those parents in here... Uh, who have students in their early 20s Um, the average age at the end of adolescence right now in America is around 26 to 27 years old Um, that until we can fully answer these questions and um, that can be a really difficult thing to understand sometimes because the the harder it gets to answer these questions the longer it draws out Um, but we can simplify them a little bit for today's purposes. What is my identity? Where do I belong? What is my purpose? And so when I'm, when I'm talking with students, um, these are the questions that are running through my mind. When I'm, when I'm getting ready to talk to them, there's a, what, what can I say to help them figure out what their identity is? What can we talk about? What we, can we learn? What game can we play even that helps them belong? What, what ideas would give them a sense of purpose moving forward in life? And so these are the things that bring us to adolescence. But these, these particular statements are not something that is just for kids, I don't think. Because I've been at spots in my life where I've come to the place where these questions are re-asked. What is my identity? Where do I belong? What is my purpose? And I've come to these spots in my life where I've, I've been like, okay, I'm lost right now. And I'm not sure what I can do with this. And I've had this conversation with a lot of adults, parents, um, even grandparents before, because when we get to places in our lives like midlife, or even when we're retiring and we we say, okay, well, for, for 35, 40 years, I've done this. And this has been where my life has been connected. This is the thing that has has been me. This is where I've put my life and where I've been my work. This has been my purpose and my belonging. And all of a sudden, it's all different. And what do I do with my life now? And it's like, all of a sudden, you're in crisis again, and you feel like a teenager. Like, what, what is happening? Welcome to, like, the second adolescence. Welcome to trying to figure out what your identity belonging and purpose is. And so as we, as we talk about this today, I want to unpack this, this story or this, um, this idea in um, a, a little bit different way. And I'm going to ask you guys to kind of use your imaginations and to, and to kind of think like um, a little out of the box, I guess, maybe, as we, we're going to read through a parable through the filter of those three words, identity, belonging, a purpose. And it's a parable that's really um, common and understandable and to, to us because we hear about it all the time. And it's even a parable that people outside of the church um, know pieces and parts of. So it's a, it's a teaching that has, has spread deep into, into culture. And it's the parable of the lost son, sometimes known the, as the prodigal son. And um, as, we, as we talk about this today, um, I wanna take some leaps and hops through this, um, this story and uh, look at the identity, belonging, and purpose that we find in different places of it. And maybe we can see a little bit of ourselves in that story. Um, so we're going we're to start in just a second. But let me give you some background. Um, like I said, this is found in Luke chapter 15. It's the only place in the Bible it's found. Um, it's not where, anywhere else. Now, Jesus was a rabbi. Um, he, I'm sure he knew how to, to make a chair and tables and stuff as a carpenter's son. But um, when they called him rabbi, they mean it. Okay, he is a teacher. He is a teacher of the law, um, in in the faith. It means that he went through through the training. He graduated um, three times from from training school. Okay, so the way that this would work is, um, they would go from the time that they were. Um, a young child all the way through till they were 13 years old and they would have a bar mitzvah, okay? Those things still happen today, pretty common. Um, If you have any Jewish friends, you've probably um, been to one. Um, The most amazing thing a part of that is that they would memorize, um, not a few scriptures or things like that, but they would memorize the entire Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible. Not like the stories, the five books word for word okay, at this time. That was how you got to your bar mitzvah, okay? And you had to be able to recite it and wherever they asked you to. Like, this is serious stuff, okay? If you were really good at that, okay? And after your bar mitzvah, they thought, hey, you got some potential. They would keep you at the temple. The rest of the folks would go off and work in their trades or anything along those lines. They would keep you in the temple until you were 18 years old. And then at 18 years old, um, they would uh, basically evaluate you one more time, and uh, if you made the cut, you would get to become a disciple of a rabbi. And so you would you would move forward from there. Those 15 to eight, or 13 to 18 year olds they would go out and and work on with their their families or whatever careers. Some of them might come and work in the temple as as clerks and things like that or scribes, but they're not they're not going to be rabbis at some point in time. But if you're 18 to The 30, they're going to work on you as to become a rabbi yourself. You're going to become a disciple of another rabbi. And at 30 years old, they would set you loose as a rabbi, as a teacher, and you would take on your own disciples. It's not a coincidence that Jesus starts his ministry when he's 30 years old. He has been through this process all the way through, and he is in a place to take on disciples. Now he doesn't take on the disciples from that nice group from 18 to 30 though that everybody says these are the great folks out there he goes out and finds those guys who when they were 18 or maybe even when they were 13 they said hey uh you can you can go work on the on the shop and you can go work on the boat you can go make some clothes you can i don't know what you can do you're not staying here okay <laughs> so um he goes and finds those guys Bear are Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew, all these guys who are tax collectors, tax collectors and sinners and, you know, all this kind of stuff. He goes and finds all those guys, those other people, and he takes them on as his disciples and begins to teach them to literally change the world. But in the midst of this, so he's this teacher. He is part of this culture, and he is now reaching into a culture that— The religious leaders are not real happy about him reaching into. And so they're grumbling. He's right now, right when he's getting ready to tell these, this parable, he is hanging out with a bunch of sinners and tax collectors and the Pharisees come up and they give him a whole bunch of junk about it. And so he's like, all right, well, here, let me tell you some stories and tell you what God is thinking in these moments. So he tells them first about, um, this shepherd who has a hundred sheep and one of the sheep goes off and he leaves the 99 that are good. Okay. And he goes and finds the one that is lost. And he comes back and he celebrates that he's found his lost sheep. And they're giving the picture to these these Pharisees. Hey, the lost people, they need God too. And then um, he tells the story about this woman who has 10 coins. That's all she's got. But she loses one of them. That's 10% of her life savings. That if you lost 10% of your life savings, you would tear your house apart looking for it too. And so she lost 10% of her life savings. She tore her house apart, found it. And she calls all our friends, hey, I found it coming. And let's spend it, I guess. I don't know if she has a party. And um, she, you know, wants everybody there to excite So he's talking about this way that God sees people and that somebody is lost and they're found. And we should celebrate that. We should celebrate the redemption that takes place in the midst of that. And then he, so he goes from sheep and things that we own to coins and things that we value. And then he's going to talk about people. And so he's taking them on a journey from, from stuff to a little bit more of security and finances. Now we're, we're going to talk about what it means to be human and how it means to feel this and see it and understand it, hold on to it. And so we're going to start that little hop I was talking about here. And uh, we're right here, right in the story. And um, it starts there in verse 11. And it says, Jesus continued. This is the third story. He'd already told the other two. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. All right, we're just going to stop right there for a second. Okay. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about what this means. Okay. So in this culture, there's when you have sons and somebody has an estate, the oldest son is going to get 50% when that father dies. He's going to get 50% of that estate and all the rest of that estate is going to be split up between all the other sons and the people. But how many sons did this guy have? Two sons. So what are they going to get? 50-50. They're each going to get half. Not, he's not getting the shaft or anything along those lines, all right? So he doesn't really have a problem to worry about here, but let's just be very clear for a second. They get that money, they get that, that part of their inheritance when what happens? When dad dies, okay? When dad dies, they get that half of the inheritance. So they, that's the only way it comes about. And So this guy is literally looking at his father and saying, hey, I wish you were dead so I could get what's mine. think about that for a second dads in the room how would it feel if your kid walked up to you and just said i wish you were dead right now so i could have what's mine i know he didn't say it exactly like that but he's impatient he's tired of it he wants to get out so let's let's talk about his identity his belonging his purpose And these questions, so where, where, how do I know you? Where do you belong? Where do you do life? What's your purpose? So in this place, an identity, he, this is what I, what I imagine he feels like sometimes though. He has an older brother, right? He's the youngest. So he's the invisible one who never gets what he wants. The oldest guy always gets it all. He's a good nothing. He does everything. His dad tells him to, he does it all perfect works every day, all day long. Uh Someday though, I wonder if. Someday dad will be gone and I'll have mine. This is the way this guy, it sounds like he thinks about himself to me. Where does he belong? Not here, man. Not in the shadow of my older brother. Not in this place where this guy is, you know, not letting me have what I want or anything like that. His purpose, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know it's not here. I just want to get out. In in this case, I would I would call this guy the restless son. He he is just restless. He he wants to move, he wants to get, he wants to, he wants to take off, man. He doesn't care what's around him, he just wants to get going. Okay. And so um the father does it though. The father gives him what's his and tells him, Go ahead. And so we pick up the story there. Verse 13: not long after that, the younger son gets together all he has. And he set off for a distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. And this wild living is is the, the term debauchery. Okay, it's drunkenness. It's it's craziness. It's you know, it's the the party on the rooftop kind of you know losing it and burning out your credit cards and whatever you know kind of lifestyle. He just totally it just takes off. It's it's really interesting. In the original language. The squandered his wealth. It says he he dissipated his being is what the words translate as. He dissipated his being, like just everything that he was gone. Okay. Into this, this living. And uh, this son, I would call the BMOC. Anybody know what the BMOC is? The big man on campus? I don't know. So the big man on campus, his identity, if you were to ask those same questions, how do I know you? Hey man, I am the rich, fun guy. I have no boundaries. Watch me, come on. This is me, watch me. I have, there's nothing about me. I have everything. Where do you belong? I belong on the top. Nobody tells me what to do or where to be. I'm a self-made man, okay? That's where I belong. There's nobody else around me. I'm at the pinnacle. I've got it all. Boom! Watch it. His purpose in life is to milk life and get everything he always wanted. Everything that he thought that he didn't have at the other place, he wants it all, and he wants it now. Okay. Now, um, as I think about this, this person. Um, I unfortunately have a little bit of, of, um, connection to somebody who lived this way. And it's not unfortunate. It's the situation that's unfortunate. But, um, I will say ahead of time that Jesus came in and changed that situation. But, but this guy at one point in his life was my father. Um, my dad grew up in a very, very poor family. Um, they had no power, no electricity in their home, eight children, two bedrooms, um, in a tiny little house in the mountains in Virginia. And um, he is the only one of those eight kids to go to school. His family, um, his his brothers and sisters basically disowned him because he left home and went to college and he paid for it, scratched every penny to get there himself. He made it to the top. He went from a poor kid on the street with nothing to the president of a fairly substantial marketing firm in Virginia. And that dude, uh, he was successful. He had it all, okay? And if you knew him, um, he, he had it all and you knew that he had it all. Cause he would tell you, okay. He was not, he was not, um, well, my brother put it that he was prideful to the point of arrogance is what my brother said at one point, Jesus changed my dad. I will say that. And I can say that with, um, all truthfulness. Um, he changed my father all day long, but there was a point in time when, um, he was on the top and nobody was going to tell him what to do. And, um, that was, um, it was a scary time in a lot of ways, but a lot of times what we don't realize in those, those purpose, in those places, when you're the BMOC and you're on top, all it takes is, is something on the bottom of that thing to come undone and your whole pyramid starts to tumble. And, um, my dad had, had left that marketing firm, started his own business, was doing really well. And then the recession in the early nineties hit and he lost it all in one in one deal he lost it all and we almost lost our home we almost lost everything and um, we were still okay I mean I'm not I'm gonna say we were a middle-class family still in America but we went from a, an upper class to a middle class hard really fast and um, it broke my father in a lot of ways and so when we talk about this type of person, that's, that's the type of person that I'm talking about, is this person who's just like living on the top, but you're living on the edge, man. You're living on the edge of the pinnacle of a whole bunch of stuff underneath you most of the time. So we jump on. And so here's that, here's that thing that comes along the line, like the recession in the early 90s for my dad. Um, verse 14, after he had spent everything— there was a severe famine in that whole country where he was, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his friends to to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And uh, those pods, are, I don't know if you've seen them, sometimes you'll see a carob tree still around here. They're really common in the Middle East, but it's like this long, like kind of brown nasty it looks like a squashed chocolate bar but it's so dry and horrible and that's what they fed the pigs because it was just trash okay that's what he longed to eat but nobody gave him anything this this son we're going to call the starving son because it, his identity his belonging his purpose if somebody said how do i know you he, he, that person would say i'm a, i'm the broke guy who's uh Starving in the pig field, working for a stranger. Where do you belong? I don't belong anywhere. I don't don't have anything, I don't have anybody. I was at the top, I was all by myself. Now I'm at the bottom and I'm all by myself. I live in the servant bunks, so the barn next to the pigs. What's your purpose? I don't have a purpose, I just exist. I work, I sleep, I repeat work, sleep, repeat. And sometimes you don't have to hit rock bottom to be the starving son. Sometimes you just get into that place where everything is just work, sleep, repeat. And life is just not there anymore. It's a place where we atrophy. It's a place where we lose our strength. It's a place where we feel lost. But then there's this uh, pretty amazing line in the scripture. It's pretty, I mean, this is, it's profound and it's so quick, okay? But verse 17, it says it, and um, all you young folks who are just graduated high school and all us old folks who have not graduated high school for a long time, this, this one line, when he came to his senses, is a very important line for all of us to remember When he came to his senses, okay, when ding, wait a second. I used to know this guy called my dad, okay. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants, which is what I am now, have food to spare? But what am I? I'm starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son goes into his speech. The son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. How many of y'all have rehearsed a speech for somebody like this before? I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. This son, oh, excuse me, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And this son we will call the restored son. And this is what his identity, belonging, and purpose might look like. And it comes with a deep set of humility and a deep heart of um, understanding of what he had been. He said, I am the son. How do I know you? I'm the son of my father. Here's the ring to prove it. Now, Signet rings. This ring that he tells him to put them on it—it's a signet ring. And um, if he were to go and to do business on behalf of his father's um, property or estate or business, he—somebody will say, "Well, who are you?" And he would say, "I am the son of this person." And he would hold up that ring, and that crest that was on that ring would prove his belonging to that family it's his idea his identity that gives him the authority to live and to work and to do and to be who he is and who he was born to be i'm the son of my father here's the ring to prove it not his work not his everything that he's done but the grace of his father to give that back to him Where do you belong? I belong in my father's household with life, safety, and everything that I need. This is a guy who had experienced the loss of everything. He comes home and finds everything the way it was, restored back to who he was and knows that he belongs there. Not just because it's his home where he grew up with daddy, but he belongs there because that is the best place for him to be a part of. And his purpose is to live and to work with his father, to be in that relationship, to be connected to him, to be his representative in that respect. You can see where this is going, right? It's not hidden by the way. <laughs> so there is another son in this. We're not gonna read all of his story just for the sake of time, cause it's already too late. But this guy is called the bitter son is what I'll call him. He's the older brother and he's been there. He's been working the whole time. He never left. He never messed anything up. He's been doing all this kind of stuff. And he gets really mad with his father for taking care of this other guy. And he kind of sounds like those Pharisees who's a little mad at Jesus for hanging hanging around with these other people who were starving and thought they were the mock of the day. You know, his identity, he's the future head of the household for them. He's like, he's just building stuff for his father, but he knows that at some time, hey, it's all about him. And he gets it done, and he's building something, but he's building it for his future. You know, it's all about him. It's not about the father anymore. And that guy is—is is what Jesus is trying to help them say. Hey, listen, stop being this dude. Don't be bitter. Don't be bitter that people have found life. Understand this is this is the direction. So that's the same question today I would have for you as we kind of try to land this plane a little bit. Is like. What part of this story sounds like you? And if you're walking today as a restored son, that's amazing. But a lot of us in the room have spent our time and life and struggled in different places with being restless and wanting to get out and move and get away from God and stop, stop getting on top of all the stuff that I'm doing. I just want to do, I just want to come to church on Sunday morning and sing the songs and leave, man. I don't want all this stuff in my life. want to do what I want when I want it. And we're, we feel that restlessness. They feel that, that draw of the world around us. And we find ourselves away in that place. And then some of us are in a place where we're, we're just trying to figure out, you know, how to get to the top. How do we make it up there? How do we be the person that, that uh, we, we want to be up there on the top? How do we be the big man or the big woman on campus? And, you know, we're just, we're selling out everything that we have to get there. And you're, maybe you feel that teeter, man, it's exciting. Maybe you feel like you're up there and it's like, man, this is, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. Maybe you're already in that place where you're starving. You know, um, as I thought about this though, um, the starving one is deceptive because Kelly Kelly and I have had the opportunity to be in Central America a lot and work in third world countries down there in the, in the past and taking people from some pretty affluent areas down into those areas and take them into a third world country where there's a young man who walks across in front of you and he's 12 years old and he's naked because he just doesn't have anything, okay? Not because he's, you know, perverted or anything like that. He literally doesn't have clothes and people live on dirt floors and it's like my dad, no electricity, no water. And you know, there's eight kids living in one room and like, I've had these people from these communities look at that family and they go, wow, they have nothing and they are happier than I am. And they didn't know it, but they have been starving to death in the middle of what they thought was life. And they've been starving and maybe that's you today. But hopefully all of us, no matter where we are, we will come to our senses and know that there is a father who has created us to be in his image. And we are meant and we are are crafted and put together to be in his household, to work in his life and his kingdom, to be under his authority, to wear his ring to be in this world around us and to do business with this world, bringing his kingdom to the world and bringing light into darkness. And this is the restored son that Jesus died on the cross for. We are Easter people because we are not dead. We are alive because of what he has done. We're lost, but we have been found. If we can wake up and come to our senses and live In that reality, in that identity, in that belonging, in that purpose, we can find the person that we were meant to be. And it's like the tracks that you put a train on. And if you put an engine on that track, and as long as it's pointing to the right place, whatever gets pulled behind it is going there. So if you're a doctor, if you're a carpenter, if you're a a plumber, if you're a, a military person, if you're you know, what, whatever you are, if your purpose and your identity and your belonging is found in the Father's household and through the power of Jesus Christ, whatever you pull behind it is going to be under the authority and the covering of that house. And that is life. That is life and life abundant. That is what Jesus died for. That is what we are trying to find as an adolescent kid is something like that. But trying to find as a midlife crisis adult or as a retiring adult or as as a child of God, it is everything, it is everything. And so this morning, I'm gonna ask the band to come forward and to prepare. And I want to once again um, remind you that uh, we call this area an altar um, it's just the front of the stage there's nothing like it's kind of like the hand thing earlier there's nothing magical about this place but there is something unique and powerful about making a step and a move in your own life that says I'm going to move my position when when the young man in this story made a decision and came to his senses, he left one place and went to another. And so there is something significant and important about leaving a place and coming to another place in your heart and your mind that helps you understand what you're deciding. And so we call this place an altar because it's a place where we come to do business with God. It's a place where we come to sacrifice and lay something down that we don't want anymore. In worship to him and recognition of his power, and we leave it there for him to consume. And so I invite you to come to the altar and allow God to consume your restlessness, consume your pride and your arrogance and your be and consume your starving, and to allow him to give you life and life more abundantly. Let's pray. Father, this morning we, we thank you that you are a good father that you are a faithful father, that even when we want to go, you are wise enough to let us go instead of fighting with us. And God, when we wanna come home, you are graceful enough and grace-filled enough to allow us to come home and not to make us become a servant, but to still love us like your sons and daughters, to throw a celebration to put the mark of your family on us, to give your life through Jesus in our place so that we can be restored, God. Lord, we thank you for that. We pray that you would um, in these moments as we do business with you, that you would break our hearts and bring us home, God, and help us to find that identity and that belonging and that purpose that we need in you. In Jesus name I pray, amen.
0: Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area, there you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for him. And we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.